Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So we're like, we're uh, so much happened last week. I don't, I mean, if, if, if you only listen to one, it's still good. Like that, uh, that's why I like epic narratives. I, you literally can listen to any one of the, of these podcasts and you get into the story. There's just so much going on all the time. And that's one of the things we covered last week was all the stuff that was going on in David's move when he moves out of Jerusalem and he did why he does it and who he takes with him. And, and, and we kind of leave him camped out at the fords of the river Jordan. So this is a place where there's, uh, for lack of, of a better visual, there's like lots of little islands. It's fairly shallow water. It wouldn't be during the, during the spring, you would, all that would disappear, but this is like a, a really wide part of the river. It has, um, it's heavily, heavy foliage. Is that the word? Lots of woods, bushes, trees on either side of the bank. So him and his whole party, which if you throw in the four to 600 soldiers, uh, family, friends, you're probably talking about, um, and, and, oh, and advisors. He took a lot of advisors with him, concubines. Uh, you're probably talking 800 people. Camping out <laughs> with no, virtually no supplies. Now, Zibia did bring them supplies. They at least have food, and they're just all kind of finding their way. And, and it's kind of cool to think about, um, you know, this – David probably <laughs> – David and those that have been with him for a long time, like this felt familiar. Because remember, he spent all that time in the wilderness – not just in the cave, but when he, if you remember way back, almost a year ago, when we were talking about this, <laughs> it just seems like so long ago, but but not that long ago. Uh, he was, remember, he, he went and protected a city from the Philistines, and then while he's at the city, he got word that the, you know, that Saul was coming to get him, and he left the city, and they kind of left their families in the wilderness and him and the 600 mighty men, well, not mighty men, it was only 30 mighty men, 600 men uh, hit, the, hit the trail, so to speak. So he's used, like, this is a familiar thing. Six to 800 people camping out in the woods, uh, making do with, with supplies, finding, you know, finding places that are, or making comfortable places to sleep. And, and as a shepherd, he he knew how to do this. They 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 have literal the skill levels of these guys when you're in the wilderness is really fascinating. The ability they have to mold what we would consider stony, rocky ground into places that are comfortable to sleep in. If you remember, even if you're familiar with scripture, dun, 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 whatever. I I know for some of you it's like what. I know it's very Christianese of me to say. If you're familiar with the Bible, there are stories of uh, one particular story where you have. Um... <laughs> no, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, Jacob, Jacob's ladder, where it says, you know, he's he slept on a rock. And to a lot of Westerners, and I've heard it preached, you know, he was so exhausted and so tired, like he he just passed out on the ground. He couldn't. He couldn't hardly move. You know, he literally made a rock into a pillow. But the skill level of people who are used to being in the wilderness and would have been familiar with someone, I mean, Jacob would have been familiar with these skills, the ability to mold rocky ground into a place of comfort is pretty standard. And David would have had that. And so would have a lot of people that were with him, not everyone, but they would have showed each other and they probably would have shared some laughter and they probably would have um, talked about like, what just happened? Like, can you believe what happened? And a lot of them were sad. And, and yet a lot of them were our advisors and their, their officials and they're interacting with David saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And David, of course, is used to that kind of pressure. Like, where are we going next? And how, how are we going to get out of this? And David's not quite sure. He's waiting for information to come to him 
and it will, it will in the next chapter, but we got a little bit of background to go over before we get there. So David's there and he's interacting and some of his people are, are curious. Some are excited. Like it's, it's an exciting thing to get, to get kicked out. I mean, not necessarily a positive thing, but it's exciting. Like your heart rates up. You're curious of the sounds and noises. Like, are they sending troops right away? Are they sending a, a small amount of troops to chase us down? Like, like everybody there at some level is feeling incredibly vulnerable even though they have 600 men. I mean, that's about it. And I'm guessing those 600 men are like jacked, right? Their adrenaline's running because they're warriors. They're warriors and they came to David to do battle and to protect him. And that's exactly where they're at. They are, they are down, outnumbered, outgunned, outmanned, Right they're, they're They're in the perfect place for heroic courage when it comes to military mindsets. And these guys are these guys are you know created a perimeter, they've created a second perimeter, they have strategy, they've told the families, they've told the wives, they've told the servants, the concubines that are with them. They've told David, don't worry. We, we've got you protected. These guys are not sleeping, trust me. The military guy, if they are, they're, they, they're doing those like one-hour nappy things that, that guys in the military do. And they know you don't actually sleep, right? I mean, you do. You knock out, and then you're right back. You're just in and out, in and out. You're super tense. So that's the atmosphere of where David is right now. Kind of in hold, kind of on edge. I don't think David's sleeping either. I mean, he hasn't been in a military campaign for years, but he knows what it's like. It's like an athlete. No, not really. I mean, military is way bigger than an athlete, but it's that it's that mindset. You take a you take somebody who is who is very athletic and competitive, and even when they're watching a game, right, their heart rate goes up. They break into a sweat, and if their children play, well, then. What, what do they use the word? They, you know, right? They they live vicariously through them. Like they can feel the the ground under their feet, or they can feel the hit, or they can feel the kick. Like it's everything within them. That's the way David would be right now. He's he knows exactly what's going on. He's he's keeping an eye on things. He's vigilant. He's awake. He's alert, and he's he's rolling through all kinds of options of how to get out of this and where to go next. He's got probably a top five list of of cities that that he may be able to find refuge in, but he's he needs to know he needs to know when when do I need to leave? Like what's going on at the palace right now? And that brings us to today's podcast. <laughs> so, verse fifteen of Second Samuel sixteen. Meanwhile, Absalom. And the men of Israel come into Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. They come into Jerusalem. They meet no resistance. They also don't meet a welcoming parade. Remember down in Hebron, everybody was in love with Absalom. Everybody who showed up to the party at some level thought, this is awesome. Absalom's awesome. Everybody's happy. Uh, he's offering sacrifices to the Lord. So this is clearly a God thing. And elders are showing up, and families are showing up, and advisors are showing up, and Ahithophel showed up, and that was like a big deal. And now we're all going to Jerusalem because, you know what? It's time for change. It's time for something new. It's time for someone to solve all the problems. Remember, David solved all the problems when he came into, into power he didn't take over power. He came in slowly. He came in patiently. He came in with authority. He came in with with support. He came in with favor. Absalom is coming in with rebellion, in essence, pride, arrogance. Uh, he's coming in through the back door. He didn't earn it. He wasn't anointed for it. He wasn't appointed for it. He's just taking it. 
and and I'm sure he feels very good about this. I, I really do. And he's he comes into Jerusalem expecting pushback, expecting a battle, but the gates are open and the streets are empty. That's the way I picture it. Now, granted, you can use your imagination. Maybe people are booing. Maybe they're they're throwing things at them. Maybe they're tossing dust. But I don't see any any. Uh, obviously, neither one of us can see any evidence one way or the other when it comes to the verses that are that are read here. But because of the way that people were crying with David leaving, I think David made it clear to them: Listen, don't resist Absalom. Let him come in. He he'll just kill you. He'll put the sword to you. You know, they'll they'll take what they want. They'll kick down your doors. Don't resist. Just let them come in. It'll be far better for you and for the city. And I think people took his advice. And they, after David left the city, they scurried back into their houses. They shut the doors. They shut their windows or pulled their curtains. Uh, they, they grabbed supplies from the marketplace. They didn't know when, you know, when the markets might open again. So I'm sure there was a run, <laughs> like a COVID run, COVID run on uh, toilet paper. <laughs> it's been a year. I still have no idea what that was about. I've heard some theories, uh, you know, supplies. The, the they, they had plenty of toilet paper, right? But all people who normally go to the bathroom at work were where the toilet paper is rolled in different manners and different sizes for industry. Uh, you know, they they were all going to the bathroom now at home, and so everything they needed for toilet paper at home was in short supply because they couldn't they couldn't repackage all the industrial toilet paper that they had for all the restaurants and and office buildings that were no longer in use. I have no idea actually what's well at the time of this recording. I have no idea where we're at when it comes to the election, when it comes to COVID. But you stay tuned to the to the Thursday podcast, the bonus podcast, and you'll uh, you'll get my more immediate reactions to the culture around us, and and I'll interact, of course, always with your questions. Not every question, and not every comment, but I'll I'll react with a few of them. Enough about that commercial break, Bob. On with the story. Thank you very much. So Absalom comes in. I think the streets are empty. The marketplace is empty. The supplies are gone. You know, there's a there's a random dog running across <laughs> running across the street. Uh, a few nervous um, horses or or mules. And I think in a lot of ways, Absalom's glad for this. Remember, Absalom's not a warrior. He's not a he's he's not he's trained in military uh, activities, but he's never been in the military. So he walks in. He, I have no doubt he sees all of this as God's favor, which just goes to perspective, right? We can, we, everybody can view these circumstances differently. Absalom is walking in. He's seeing this as, yeah, this is awesome. I am in charge. My dad won't even resist me. Nobody's resisting me. Everybody loves me. This is awesome. And he walks right into the palace and it's, not trashed. Everything's still there. He recognizes everything. His room is still fine. No, no. He he probably sends some messengers down to the treasure room. It's still full with treasure. Uh, there's plenty of food in the kitchen. The staff is still there. The concubines that oversee all the staff are still in charge. Everything's going. Everything's running. They're, they they probably escorted him to to his room, or he went to his room. And and Ahithophel probably said something like, well, you're now the king. Like, this isn't your room anymore. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. He goes to his father's room, and it's all made up pretty. It's not, you know, there's no tr- there's no traps. There's no tricks. There's nobody hiding in closets looking to kill him. It's all good. It's all good. That's what happens. He walks in to Jerusalem. He sees that all is good. Everything's going great. Awesome. Now, it says that Hushi, uh, David's confidant, went to Absalom and said, long live the king, long live the king. Now, this is where, <laughs> I don't know where he went to him. 
I have uh, I I kind of doubt it was the throne room. I don't think he was waiting for him. It, it seems like he went to him. So I have a feeling he met uh, Absalom maybe on his way in to the palace walls, the first courtyard. He goes to him and he bows down. And he says, "Long live the king! Long live the king!" Was he speaking the truth? Yes, he wants the king to live. Who's the king? In his mind, David's still king. He doesn't say long live Absalom. He says long live the king. I just, for me, it's a play on words. For Hushi, it's probably his way of saying, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna speak the truth here. As, at, least, at least as best as I can. I'm going to navigate this. <laughs> so Absalom says to Hushi, so this is the love you show your friend. If he's your friend, why didn't you go with him? This is the love you show your master. This is the love you show David. This is the love you show the king. You're you're one of the most trusted advisors. I've seen you in action. I've seen you at my father's side year after year. I've seen you give him advice and him take it. I know that he trusts you. I know that he loves you. And I know that you love love him and you trust him. Basically, what? so what? what is all this? What is this little act you're putting on? What is this uh, long live the king thing? What's going on? Explain yourself. I'm, I'm guessing there are people all around when this happens. It's not a one-on-one meeting. And, and, and the questions are legitimate. And I'm sure Ahithophel would like the answer to this as well. And probably several of the advisors that are with him. What 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 are you doing here? Why didn't you go with David? I thought you loved him. I thought you served him. And Hushi says to him, "Well, no, the one chosen by the Lord, by these people, all the men of Israel." He's pointing to. That's what I'm saying. He's he's got people all around, right? All these elders from various tribes and clans and villages and cities around the nation. All these people, the one chosen by the Lord, the one. Chosen by these people, the one chosen by the men of Israel, his I will be, and I will remain with him. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve the son, just as I served your father? So I will serve you. So his his basic premise is is a little bit of a little bit of flattery mixed in with the truth. He says, hey, if you're in charge, you've been chosen by the elders, who am I to stand in the way? And if God is with you, God is with you. I'm going to remain with the office of the king. That's my loyalty. My loyalty is to give the best advice I can to the whoever is king. It would be like a, a president being able to keep... Uh, the chief of staff when 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 a new president takes over a trusted advisor somebody who interacts with everything that's going on in the nation or secretary of state something like that and he says you know what this person has done a great job that i think they did a great job with the last president i'm going to keep them it'd be similar to that only i guess the flip side would be the secretary of state like when the when the new president comes into the White House, the Secretary of State is there sitting in the cabinet chair at the at the boardroom in the cabinet office. And the president says, What are you doing here? He's like, Listen, I'm I'm committed to whoever is running the, the country. I'm committed to what we're doing as a country. I'm gonna give my advice freely and openly and as and as true as I can to whoever is in charge. And as strange as it might sound, that particular, you know, for that president, but basically this is what happened. The president says, "Yeah, all right, I'll keep you on as Secretary of State." Now I know that that wouldn't really happen here in America because usually all of those cabinets have already been promised to various people during the during the political campaign. And so when the campaign's over and they actually do become president, then they owe those positions to people they've already promised them to. That's because we have a completely different style of government than they did back then. But I just wanted to kind of give you a basic over kind of weird 
it just it's an unusual thing but it's not it's not it wasn't unthinkable that someone would be committed to the nation to whoever is king of that nation to remain on as an advisor and so Absalom kept him around he and just for added measure who she throws this in furthermore whom should I serve if should I not serve the son just as I serve the father I'll serve you too so he not only commits himself to the nation, he commits himself to the family. Then that that's that's a, that means a lot. That means a lot, especially in that culture, to say, "Listen, I, I, I served your dad. Why wouldn't I serve you? There's there's no there's no difference between you and your father. You're both you're both chosen. You're both kings, and I'm your I'm an advisor to both of you. I'm not going to be disloyal." I'm, I love your family, and I'm going to support you. So this meant a lot to Absalom, and Absalom's like, good. All right, we're good. So Absalom turns to Ahithophel. No, it probably wasn't an immediate turn. It probably wasn't done in the moment. They kind of get all settled in. The, the various government, the 200 people that he took with them with him, remember, they all had jobs to do. They've been gone probably for a month maybe more. They get into the palace. They all have jobs to do. They're going to check out their offices. They've all been promoted because David took his whole cabinet with him. So now they're all in charge of things. They've got people to contact. They've got servants to to send messages, messenger. They've got messenger to send. They got, anyways, they got stuff to do. I can't find the words. I can't find the words. Uh, it's because I got something in my eye, and I know, I I know you guys don't know that because you're just listening. But it's like I'm distracted because I I can't see. Not that I need to see to talk, but it doesn't hurt. It just makes my eye fuzzy, makes it all blurry. Anyways, I'll let you, further further information will be forthcoming. All right. So he turns. He eventually gets to Ahithophel, probably in the throne room, and he says, "All right, give us your advice." What should we do? What's the first thing? What's what's I'm like it's really clear that I'm in charge. There's no resistance. The city's been searched. The government buildings have been searched. The gardens have been looked over. There's no snipers. There's no traps. David's gone. Like what what do I do? What's the first thing I do as king? Now this is really vital. This advice this advice matters visually uh, to the nation, to the elders of all these various cities that have committed themselves to Absalom. Remember, they're all in rebellion as well. If he doesn't actually lead as king, if he doesn't actually stay king, they're all in trouble. Their lives are on the line. Their families' lives are on the line. Their villages are on the line. This is no simple task of of flip-flopping. Like, well, Absalom's really good-looking and uh, strong, so we'll go with him for now. And then, you know, if he doesn't really do well, we'll go with the next guy. There, uh, It's like it's not like voting, I guess, is what I want. Yeah. It's not like casting a vote like it is here in America. Like we can vote for somebody and uh, uh, we can vote Democratic – for Congress, we can vote Republican for president. We can vote uh, independent for representatives. Like it doesn't, we, we can change our vote. We can register as one thing and vote a different way. It doesn't impact our lives. I mean, it might because, you know, the losing side freaks out and does weird things or dangerous things like burn cities or smash cars. But that speaks more so to their character, not not to the culture of of the nation and then the culture of of the middle east would have been if you're going to back this guy and he loses you're committing your life potentially you're committing your life to this because if he loses and david comes back or a new guy takes over there's a good chance you die and not just you but your family because if i kill you your family's going to want retribution, and they're going to come after me, so I need to kill all of them as well. And that's why they would kill the whole family. They'd kill the whole family, and they would 
in essence say, that's going to happen to anybody else who's a relative of this family who wants to come after me. We'll wipe out your entire clan because that will keep you in check. That will keep you simmering rather than exploding. So all these elders and leaders of the nation that are that are sitting there watching what's going on and they're they're in the palace and they're they're also making their their way so to speak. They're finding uh housing, they're finding food. They're sending back messengers, you know, blow the trumpet, Absalom is king. All of that's going on around the nation. All of this stuff is going on within the city of Jerusalem. And of course, you know, you got basic everyday guys that are plowing up fields and and fishing in the lakes and overseeing the livestock. And they're basically saying to themselves, listen, as long as no one comes after me, I, whatever. Like, I don't really care who's king. Maybe Absalom will be better than David. I don't know. Don't really care. I need to, I need to do my job. So you have all these layers going on, and Absalom goes to Ahithophel, and he says, give me some advice. What's the first thing I need to do? And Ahithophel gives the advice. Sleep with your father's concubines, whom he left to take care of the palace. Then all of Israel will hear that you have made yourself obnoxious to your father, and the hands of everyone with you will be more resolute. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and he slept with his father's concubines in sight of all Israel. All right. This is a, this is a big freaking deal on a whole lot of levels. If you remember, we I dealt with this back uh, when Nathan confronted David, and I think you know God knew that this was a possibility. He knew that David was opening himself up to be to be mocked by having his concubines uh raped. He's like this this is this could happen. Like you're you're what you've opened yourself up to is is somebody's going to try and make you seem weak and out of control. And that's one of the one of the things that Ahithophel was trying to communicate. And when when it says all of Israel watched, it means the elders were available. They were all around this little tent that was being pitched on the roof of the palace. It was being pitched up there so that visually from the streets, you could see that, that, that something was going on. And it would have been announced that, that uh, Absalom is sleeping, uh, quote, sleeping with all of the concubines. And what is he communicating? He's communicating that in a public display that all life-giving authority and commerce is now flowing through Absalom. He's making it clear that I have total control and authority of the nation's activities. Life-giving and commerce go through me. Because what, what did concubines re- represent? All of them represented, represented, rep, all of them were, were representations of, of, contracts and covenants that maintained the flow of wealth and commerce in and out of the country. And by sleeping with, well, at that originally when they all, when all those concubines slept with David, it was, it was a sealing of a deal that said from David to that nation, I will protect this covenant. I will protect this contract. This will be something that I take care of as though it is my own lover. I will watch over it. I will protect it. I will make sure that it has life. I will make sure that it is well cared for. It all was a visual picture. If you want to use Christianese, it was a prophetic act to show all the things that mattered to the other nation. And the giving of the concubine from the nation was a way for them to say, we trust you with our life-giving activity. We trust you with the womb of our nation, with the birth of new things between our nations. It was a big deal. So Absalom, or Ahithophel, gives this advice not because Absalom is some lust-crazed sex maniac, 
he says, you need to sleep with all the concubines so that we can communicate to those nations that you are in charge, that you are not just barely in charge. You're not just somewhat in charge until until you know some future date when we finally take care of David. They need to know that you're in charge now or what? Or the wealth, the commerce in and out of the nation will start to be interrupted. It's kind of like the stock market. He's saying if you don't take care of the stock market, then money isn't going to flow. And if money doesn't flow, trust me, you won't stay in power. And that's true even in our in a, even in our political system, right? If the money doesn't flow, if the marketplace shuts down, you don't you don't stay in power unless you can convince people that eventually you'll get it right, right? I mean, then then that's a whole nother level, Bob. Don't don't get distracted. But Ahithophel's advice is all centered around this. Communicate, communicate authority, communicate power, communicate that commerce will not be slowed down. So he sleeps with all the concubines in front of who? In front of all of the family tribal leaders that are there. Because that's going to initiate massive communication downloads. It'd be like sending a group text or a group email to everyone in the nation. And that's what that's for. He sets up the tent. And everybody knows what's going on. Now, I'm not saying he, you know, I, I am saying he raped them all. You don't, you don't force yourself on someone. It, this is just, it, that's, that's what this is. And there's no way, as I said when I talked about it with, with Nathan, there's no way that this is part of God's judgment. There's no way that God says to David, listen, you slept with Bathsheba, so I'm going to make sure that somebody publicly sleeps with all of your concubines. That's insanity. God would not cause the rape of 10 women as judgment to his to to David. It's just, it, mm, see, I'm already getting upset again. You'll have to go listen to that podcast because <laughs> I think I actually talked about it two podcasts in a row because it bothered me so much overnight. I had to come back and in, you know, reintroduce it again at the beginning of the next podcast. Not good. This is not good. I mean, I understand the advice from a political, economic, uh, rebellion standpoint. Ahithophel gave good advice, and it even says that at the end of the chapter. Now, in those days, the advice of Ahithophel gave was like that who uh, of one who inquires of God. That's how both David and Absalom regarded Ahithophel's advice. They they believed that the wisdom of Ahithophel was as though they were talking to God. They gave it that kind of weight. They gave it that kind of attention. They did what they were told, basically. So Ahithophel sleeps with these concubines. I don't know if, if they. I I don't I don't know how far quote that meant he went with each one of them. I'm sure they were escorted into the tent. They were escorted out of the tent. I don't know if visually. If the if the elders all watched it like actually happen, or if it was just assumed that if you went in there, the king slept with you, and that would mean had intercourse. I don't know how long he had intercourse. I don't know if he climaxed in every one of them. I can't believe I just said that. I know. See, I would never say that in in a in a, in a well, never is a big word. I don't think in most cases I wouldn't say that in a church, but. I know that's what you're thinking. So I don't know if he did because it was more the act of being with them, the act of raping them, the act of, of having intercourse with them is really what Ahithophel was after. He's like, we need to communicate commerce. We need to communicate protection. We need to pr communicate authority in all these areas. And the best way to do that is to sleep with the concubines right away. So I don't know if it happened the day he moved in, but it happens probably. It, and that's why I don't think it, it was like this big orgy of hour long, hours and hours and hours. I have a feeling it was, it was a pretty aggressive, uh, quick act that happened up on the roof for everyone to see. And only this is only because in like, uh, like, well, we, we got ahead in the next chapter. So chapter 17, of second Samuel there's more advice given and and this is all while David is at the forts like this is all happening the day that Absalom is moving in 
in the nighttime that is going on. This is this this just you can't this would this twenty four hours would be a great movie in and of itself. Now the setup is would take you a little while. Like it would take really good production and and really good writing uh, and character because you wouldn't have time really to develop all the characters. But it's it it's crazy what's going on. So then Ahithophel says to Absalom. Now this is really important because I think I think this is where Absalom starts to understand just how played he's been just how much Ahithophel has been planning uh, planning this whole coup and how much of a pawn Absalom has been I think he's starting to get the picture right here and I'll confirm it later with with future activities but <laughs> but Ahithophel says to Absalom, I would choose 12,000 men and set out tonight in pursuit of David. So that, again, gives us the timing of the sleeping with the concubines, right? This all happened in the probably afternoon. David probably left the, the city in the morning because Absalom was on his way up from Hebron. He got there. Uh, moves in, lots of activity, blah, 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 sleeps with the concubines, rapes them, however you want to, well, you can word it any way you want. We know what happened. And then he says, listen, I would choose 12,000 men and set out tonight in pursuit of David. I would attack him while he's very weak and weary. I would strike him with terror. And then all the people with him will flee. I would strike down only the king and bring all the people back to you. The death of the man you seek will mean the return of all the people will be unharmed. This plan seemed good to Absalom and to all the elders of Israel. All right, so let me, again, let's break this down because there is so much in this verse. So the first round of advice he gives Absalom, Absalom steps right into, sleeps with his father's concubines. And not only, like, it, everybody sees it, it also brings the resolve of those that are with him Right, all those elders, it basically seals the deal for them. They were there when this happened. They were there when Absalom took total authority as king. Absalom understands what that does, right? It puts the full authority of kingship in him. He now has authority over commerce. He has authority over military slash protection of that commerce and of the nation. He a life giving all the uh, remember Absalom's no no humble dude he's an arrogant man he's a beautiful man he's a powerful man and Ahithophel now comes to him with the next round of of advice and the advice is basically let me take 12,000 men out tonight attack David while he's weak I mean he's got what at the most, at most we can guess, he took the palace guard with him. So that's about 600 men. He can't be far from here. He's on foot. He doesn't. He didn't take any of the horses, none of the chariots, none of the carts, none of the supplies, none of the none of the tents. Like there's no. He is weak. He is weary. He's been pushed out of his city. He's probably sleeping on the ground if he's sleeping at all. I will strike with terror. In other words, come quickly, and I will cause mayhem. And all the people around him will flee. We'll show up with 12,000 men. It'll it'll freak him out. It'll freak out the men that are with him. He won't have any protection. And then listen, I will only kill David. And I'll bring back your mom. I'll bring back the sisters, the brothers. I'll bring back all of their servants. I'll bring back all of their children. I'll bring everybody back alive except for David. And if I... Come back with the head of David, then then there is no way that you, in other words, you, yeah, you, there is no way you don't remain king. And everybody's like, yeah, oh, actually, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. We like that idea. Yeah, yeah, this is good. He says, <laughs> another way of putting it this way, Ahithophel goes to David and says, let me kill David. 
and bring the family back here. Okay. With who? Oh, with 12,000 men of my choosing. Now, Absalom hears that. And the rest of the plan starts to take on new meaning. He says to himself, I think, Absalom says, 12,000 men of your, your, your choosing. How are you going to get 12,000 men that fast? They, they didn't walk in with 12,000 men. He, he realizes when, when Ahithophel says, let me choose, let me choose 12,000 men, 12,000 men of my cho- choosing. That doesn't happen that quickly. This has been in the works already. That's what he hears when, when he hears uh, Ahithophel say, let, let, me, let me choose 12,000 men and pursue David tonight. He hears, he hears within that phrasing, he hears, I've already got troops that are loyal to me. I've already got men who are armed and ready to be led by me. I don't want to go to war with David. I don't think we can win a war with David. I think we need to kill David now because if we don't kill him now, we're probably not going to win this. So he hears a lack of confidence in his ability to lead the nation in battle against David. There's a lack of confidence in the loyalty or the supplies or the the rest of the nation to fall into line if David's left alive. These were things that weren't expressed before Absalom you know, stepped into the kingship. Everything was all roses. Everything was going to work out great. Now he hears Ahithophel say, oh, I, I've already put together. You don't get 12,000 men overnight or in one, less than a night. You don't get those guys put together that quickly. Ahithophel's already got this plan in place. He's already got the logistics worked out. 12,000 troops are already waiting to be led. By whom? By Ahithophel, not by Absalom. So he hears, I've already got a plan. I've already got troops. He hears, I don't think this is going to go as well as you think it does if we don't kill David right away. And I don't think or really trust that you're going to kill your father. And I have a plan, and it's a really good one, because all the elders already agree. You realize there was no pushback. Nobody in the room of advisors or councils pushed pushed back against Ahithophel's advice. Now, granted, he has a reputation of being someone who you don't push back against because his advice is like that of talking to God. Everybody tended to go in line with this, but it happened. It happened almost too quick. It happened almost. They were almost too excited. It was almost as though they had already been prepped with the plan in advance. And I think Absalom, in his own personal experience, in his own personal pride, in his own personal uh, intuitive nature said to himself, wait a minute. Everybody's happy about this plan and it went just a little too fast. Now I don't I don't think he I don't think his face or anything gave way. Remember what we've learned about Absalom is Absalom is very good at playing the long game. He's an incredible poker player. This is a man who saw the the brother who raped his sister, right? He sees Amnon every day and doesn't even Flinch. He doesn't give any indication to Amnon that he's upset at all about the fact that Amnon had raped his sister. And yet internally, he was he was literally planning the murder of Amnon, and Amnon had no clue, no clue that Absalom had the plan going. He had no even rumor. This is how this is how close to the vest that Absalom plays things. There was not even a rumor. So when he was invited, the crown prince. When he was invited to go out into the wilderness three miles away, was it three miles or eight miles away to the to the 
area in which Absalom was going to have all of his sheep sheared and all his brothers were going to be there. Amnon had no hesitation. He walks right into his own death trap without even knowing. No, no hesitation. He figures Absalom is fine with it or too weak to do anything about it. And yet Absalom had been planning that death for two years and never gave an indication. So that's why I think when when Ahithophel is, is speaking and the elders are all in agreement and everybody's in council is like, this is a great plan, this is the plan to go with. Absalom is, is, uh, is I don't know, smiling? I don't know, stone-faced? Uh, maybe he gets up from the throne, wanders around, Rubs, you know, rubs his hand over the top of his head. I, I, I just picture him thinking, okay, what's my best play here? How do I confirm my suspicions? How do I know whether or not these people are loyal to me or loyal to Ahithophel? And then he remembers Hushi. And Hushi wasn't part of this little party. And Absalom says, hey, go get Hushi. I'd like to hear what he has to say. Honestly, the the horror, I think, that struck Ahithophel, I don't know if his face showed it, but internally he had to be racked over the Oh my gosh, he's questioning me. He's questioning what I'm doing. I don't think it was more of an arrogant thing. I think he knew I've I played him. Maybe I played him one too many times. Maybe I played him too quickly. Like you wonder, because the elders, I think, were involved in this, you wonder if a few of them were maybe too, enthousi- too enthusiastic. You ever met somebody who knows a secret and then and then plays, you know, is supposed to kind of play a role and they overplay it and you think, oh my gosh, will you just stop? <laughs> my mother did that to me. Little side note, I was going to, uh, the girl I married, okay, my wife and I have been married for, uh, it'll be 35 years. Well, by the time you hear this, it'll be over 35 years. And um, we've been dating for, I don't know, nine months. And I was going to ask her to marry me. And I told my mom the night before, because we were going to go to a sunrise. And I was going to, you know, top of a mountain, I was going to ask her to marry me because there was all reasons for that. You don't, I don't need to go into those details. Uh, they're fun. I think it's a great story, but anyways, my mom knows, right? So my mom just, she literally can't contain herself. And so the whole evening she's like, Oh, so where are you going again tomorrow, Lori? Where are you going? Um, sunrise. (gasps) Oh, that's so nice. That's so nice. Isn't that nice? And then my dad comes home from work. And, and she's like, oh, honey, honey, ask Lori where Bob's taking her tomorrow. Where's where's Bob taking you again tomorrow? Ask her, ask her. And he'd be like, um, so where are you going tomorrow? Oh, Bob and I are going to a sunrise on top of, you know, this mountain. Oh. And he's thinking, I don't get it. And my mom's just like, you know, wide-eyed and like, isn't that going to be special? Isn't that going to be awesome? And my dad's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds really good. And I'm like dying inside, like, oh, mom, will you stop? And then my sister came over. Yeah. Oh, oh, you know, da, da, da. Guess, guess, guess what Bob's doing tomorrow with Lori? Guess where Bob's going tomorrow morning? Got to get up early. Got to get up early. Oh, oh my word. <laughs> so, yeah, my wife, uh, well, my soon-to-be fiance suspected something was up. And I look back, and honestly, it's funny. It's cute. Like, it's my mom. Like, she just was too excited. Everybody loved this uh, this girl that I married, and they still do. They still do. She's amazing. And they were super excited I could get somebody that also might think. And I don't blame I, I still can't freak I still freak out. I saw an old picture of us last, yesterday, and I looked at us, and I thought, why did she say yes to me? Oh, my word. I mean, look at me. <laughs> Sorry, I want the story. So I think <laughs> I think Ahithophel has that moment where he's like, uh-oh, 
like guys, like you played it, you, you're playing this over, you're playing this over the top. Relax, relax. And then when, when Absalom's like, you know what? I'd like to get uh, Hushi's advice on this. Bring him in. So Hushi comes in, and uh, he says, uh, so Ahithophel's given his advice. Should we do what he says? And if not, then what do you think we should do? Now, this is the moment that he was brought in for. This was the reason why David sent him back, was to frustrate the plans, to to not necessarily demand something, but throw something else on the table to at least buy some time in debate, to at least buy something of, of an opportunity for him to get a message to David to let him know what's going to happen so that David would know, can I camp out here? Should we keep moving? How far away do I need to go? That sort of thing is going on here. So Ahithophel uh, uh, is standing there. The elders are standing there. Absalom, I, Absalom knows what he's doing. He's looking for loyalty. He's looking for whether or not he's actually being followed or being played. And he has pretty good sense right now that he's been played for the last month or more. That I think Ahithophel's been giving him advice for years about how to win the hearts of the people. And he kept thinking Ahithophel was on his team. And he's realizing right here in this moment that that Ahithophel has been the captain of the team. That that he's been playing Absalom like a like a, a, a pawn in a large game to take over the kingdom and to take out David. His desire to kill David for what he did to his granddaughter Bathsheba and what he did to his uh, his not really his son-in-law but son-in-law grandson-in-law Uriah. This is what's been driving Ahithophel's life for years. And Absalom's putting all the pieces together, and Hushi comes in and he says, the advice Ahithophel has given is not good this time. In other words, he's usually amazing at this, but I don't think it's the best the best advice right now. Now, normally, yes, but not right now. You know, your father and his men, they're fighters. They're as fierce as wild beer, bears robbed of their cubs. Besides, your father is an experienced fighter. He's not going to spend the night with his troops. Even now, he's probably hidden in a cave some other place. He's, he's, if, if he should attack your troops first, whoever hears about it would say, ah, there's been a slaughter among the troops who follow Absalom. In other words, you're, you're going to look bad. Your dad's in familiar territory. Your dad spent years fighting guerrilla warfare, terrorist warfare in the in the caves, in the hills, and the woods of this nation. There's no way you beat him right now. He's already got a plan in place. He has 600 troops. You and I both know the stories of this. Your father has killed thousands of Philistines with 600 people. This is not a problem for your dad. He's actually in his sweet spot right now. You go out tonight and try and take him on, you're going to look like an idiot. And people are going to know the first battle you had against David, you lost, which is going to erode the support that they have for you. And they're going to wonder, do we really trust him? Can he really lead us? Is he, does, he, does he really have the authority he needs to run this nation? Because if you lose a battle to David, even your bravest soldier's heart is going to melt in fear. Because everyone knows that your father is a fighter and everyone who fights with him is brave. They're not people who are going to run. Remember, Ahithophel's advice was, if you let me go after him, I will, I will strike such terror in everyone's heart that he'll be left alone. I will kill your father and then I will bring back his head and I'll bring back all the family. Hushi's advice is this. You know everyone who fights for David fights bravely. They are not going to be scattered. They're not going to be scared of 12,000 troops that show up in the middle of the night. As a matter of fact, they're probably literally planning on this because your dad knows how to do this. He's you, he's a legend for a region, reason, Absalom. You know this. Those are not made-up stories. He does not cower in fear. He is ready for battle right now. So my advice to you is this. Put together an army 
from one end of the nation to the other, as numerous as a sand on the seashore. Let them all be gathered to you, to yourself, leading them into battle. Now remember, who was going to lead the other battle with 12,000 men? That would be Ahithophel. Who would have gotten credit for killing David? That would be Ahithophel. Who would have gotten credit for putting Absalom in power? That would have been Ahithophel. Absalom's putting all these pieces together. Hushi's showing him a way that he can take all those pieces back. He's saying, you know what? You put together a huge army. You, you have them all gather to you, their leader, their new king. Have all the tribes commit the lives of their young men to you. Show leadership. Show commitment. Show uh, uh, loyalty to you, not to David. Let them all come to you, Absalom. And then attack him wherever he is. Wherever he's hiding out, we'll know by then. It's not going to be a big deal. And you can... You'll have so many troops, you'll fall on him like the dew settles on the ground. Neither him or any of his men will be left alive. Remember, Ahithophel wasn't going to kill everybody. He was going to scatter everybody and only kill David because it was personal and it was revenge. And it's been a plan that he's had in place for years. And you're just a pawn in his little scheme. And you're doing what you're doing, what you're told. You're not leading. You're following I'm telling you some advice on how you can lead, how you can be the one in charge, how you can be the one that people are loyal to, how you're, you can be the one who gave the, gave the advice and everybody followed. You're not going to be a, a, a follower of Ahithophel. Ahithophel will need to follow you. Listen, if your dad goes into a city, who cares? You bring enough ropes, you'll just pull the walls down. You'll have so many people. On your side, that by the time you're done defeating your father and whatever city he's in, there won't be a pebble left to stand on top of each other. And by the time he was done with this speech, and I'm sure, I, I, not I'm sure, in my mind, in my, in my little visual, this was exciting. This was like a pep rally. This was like a coach in a, in a locker room before a big game. Man, people were so fired up. And the people cheered, I think, when he was done. The advice of Hushi is better than that of Ahithophel. For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster upon Absalom. Now, again, I don't think God's desire is to kill anyone. I don't think God's plan was to kill Absalom. And I think we'll see that later on in the story because we see it in the heart of David. But to frustrate the plans of the enemy? Absolutely. And that's exactly what he did. Absalom heard this advice, and it was it was good advice. It was advice that was uplifting and brought him more glory. It fits Absalom's ego. It's a good plan. It's a good plan. It's not like it's not like Hushi gave him a plan that wouldn't work, and and Ahithophel gave him the only plan that would work. It's just that Ahithophel's plan was clearly going to give Ahithophel credit. It also showed from Absalom's perspective that Ahithophel's been working on this for a while, and Ahithophel doesn't trust him to kill David. Hushi's advice brings all the glory to Absalom. It puts him in the center of a huge army. And of course, I mean, he's he, he loves that stuff, right? He's, he's a glamour dude. Like, he doesn't go camping, he goes glamping. He he is he's a he plays off to his strength and his strength is good looks from the head of from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet the bible says he is a stud and this plan puts him in the middle of a huge army he will look like the leader that he believes himself to be and it would work if he was a good leader and if David wasn't a military genius. And it also does another thing. It gives David time. And that was really who she's main goal. Give it good advice that frustrates or is the opposite of Ahithophel's advice and gives David time. And he is in, in, in his in his wisdom, he was able to do both. Oh my goodness, we've been going for an hour. Can you believe that? Oh, 
And you will, oh, and then, and then, uh, the next verse. All right. We'll, we'll deal with that next week. We, good stuff going on. Lots of stuff going on. I don't even think, I don't know. Is there a spiritual lesson in all this? Oh, you can figure it out. There's lots of lessons. It's a story. There's always stuff you can learn from. So I hope you learned a few things today. And if nothing else, I hope you had fun listening. I look forward to continuing this epic narrative on the next podcast. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.